Thanks very much, uh, Melissa. Let's pray, shall we? Dear Lord, we thank you for uh, your word, and we pray that you'd help us as we look at it together, this psalm, whether we're young or old, whether we're familiar with Christian things or not. Help us to understand what you're saying to us through it. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, do keep the passage open, Psalm 2, page 543, and the words are also going to appear up on the screen as we go along. Can you think of a powerful person? Okay, somebody who has authority over other people, someone who can tell other people what to do, someone who can make the rules and enforce the rules. Um, who are you thinking of? Maybe it's your head teacher. Maybe it's um, the prime minister or a president. Maybe it's um, the coach of a sports team or the conductor of an orchestra. How do you feel about a person like that? Do you do what they say or do you try and get away without doing it? Do you respect them or resent them? The psalm is about the most powerful person of all. The psalm is about King Jesus. It shows us what people think of Jesus. It shows us what God thinks of Jesus. It shows us how people respond to Jesus. It shows us how, how God responds to how people respond to Jesus. You see, what we think about powerful people matters. What we think about Jesus matters most of all. How we respond to powerful people matters. How we respond to Jesus matters most of all. So let's have a listen to God's word. We're going to see four scenes in this psalm. And the first is this. It's the rebellion against God's king. The rebellion against God's king. And the, and the words are also going to appear up on, on the screen. Verse 1. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. So the nations all around God's people, they are planning to attack God's people because they don't want God's king to have any power over them. But it's going to be a little bit of a waste of time. Do you see it says, they plot in vain. It makes me think of some of the matches in the Rugby World Cup. Have you been watching the Rugby World Cup? Like um, last week when um, France beat Namibia 96-0. Uh, some teams in the Rugby World Cup are just not very good. They practice tackling and, tr and uh, passing and lineouts and scrums. And, but, if they, but if they're just not very good and the other team is a lot better than them, then all their training and all their team talks and all their tactics, it's all a bit of a waste of time. They're still going to lose. And it's a bit like that with the rebellion against God's king. It's a foolish waste of time. But the thing is, we do it as well. So you see verse 3, it says, this is what the kings say, this is what we say as well. Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. So we want to live without God as our king. We want to rebel against God. We think that God's word and his law is like a chain or a shackle, something that makes our life miserable, something that wants to kind of restrict our freedom and stop us being independent, something that wants to spoil our fun. We want to be the king's and queens of our own lives. 
That is the rebellion against God's king. It's what sin is all about. You know, sometimes we think, oh, sin, that is doing bad things and saying bad things and thinking bad things, and it is. But it's deeper than that. Sin is shaking our fist at God, saying, I want to be God. I want to be king, not you. The question is, what is God going to do about it? The rebellion against God's king. Next, God's reaction on behalf of his king. God's reaction on behalf of his king. Um, next verse, verse 4. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Can you imagine a little three-year-old boy is going to visit Buckingham Palace, okay, and he's standing there outside the gates of Buckingham Palace with his mum and dad. And uh, then, surprisingly, the king comes out and he, he's walking along by the gates and he's greeting the crowds and stuff like that. And the little three-year-old boy basically has a massive tantrum. He stamps his feet and he balls his fists up and there are tears coming down his eyes. He says, not fair. I want to be the king. Why is he the king, not me? And the king comes over and he, he's, he, he greets the parents and he asks the little boy his name and and he puts his hand through the railings and he ruffles the little boy's hair and they have a little bit of a chuckle. It's all quite funny. But the laughter that you hear in the psalm, it's not funny laughter. The Lord laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. God is laughing at the stupidity of the nations that are rebelling against God's king. They are there, they're plotting, and they've got team talks and tactics and all this sort of stuff, and, and they are taking themselves very, very seriously. God doesn't take them seriously at all. Makes me think a bit of, um, do you know when the uh, king was crowned and there were the protests and stuff, and uh, people had their marches and they had their placards and they said, not my king. This is not a comment on whether you're a Republican or a Royalist, doesn't really matter. But they're there, not my king, stamping their feet, going on placard marches. If you think about it for a moment, it's a little bit silly. Because if you're a citizen of this country, he is your king. And waving a placard around saying, not my king, doesn't change the facts. Our conspiracy, our re rebellion against God's king is in vain. It's a bit of a waste of time. And so God laughs. But he doesn't just laugh. Look at what else he does. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain." Do you know what it's like when you realize you're in trouble? Uh, maybe at school or at work or at home. You realize you've done something wrong. You can't wriggle out of it. You're in trouble. That is what is happening in the psalm. The kings are realizing, oh my goodness me, God has made his king the king and we're in trouble with that king. We can't do anything about it. They're frightened. That is the picture here. But why are they frightened? Why is it such a big deal? Let's look at the next scene. We've seen God's reaction on behalf of his king, and now we see the reign of God's king, the reign of God's king. Verse 7, God says, 
I will, sorry, the king says, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today, I have become your father. So here is God talking to Jesus, and he's saying, you're my son, and you are going to reign over my kingdom forever and ever. And God proves that that is the case when he raises Jesus from the dead. If you're an adult, you're taking notes, and you want to see that proof, have a look at Acts 13, 33. Not now, later. So Jesus is king forever, but he's not just king forever. He is king everywhere. You see verse 8. God says to him, Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You've probably never heard of this place. Not Antarctica, but the red bit on the map. That is called Mary Bird Land. Okay, it is the largest piece of unclaimed land in the world. It's 1.6 million square kilometers. No one owns it. No one claims it. Not America, not China, not the United Kingdom, not Russia, not anybody. It doesn't belong to anyone. It belongs to Jesus. Every single square kilometer of those 1.6 million square kilometers, it all belongs to Jesus. A bit like everywhere else. There was a man called Abraham Kuyper. He was the Prime Minister of the Netherlands. And he said this. This is brilliant. He said, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. So think about it, okay? Your bedroom floor, is it a mess or is it tidy? It all belongs to Jesus. The stairs that you walk down in the morning to get into the sitting room or to get into the kitchen, to sit around the kitchen table. The stairs belong to Jesus. The hallway belongs to Jesus. The kitchen table belongs to Jesus. Or maybe you go into town to work and you're on the train. The, the, The floor of the tube train belongs to Jesus. The tracks belong to Jesus. And the floor of the office belongs to Jesus. Everything, everywhere belongs to Jesus. He's king everywhere. He's king um, all the time. And he's king with all power. Verse 9. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Now maybe you read that and you think, I don't want a king like that. Someone is going to go around beating people up with a stick Someone who's going to go around smashing things. But that's not really the picture. You see, the picture is actually of Jesus as a good shepherd king, not as a dictator, angry dictator king. You know, in the Bible, a shepherd, they had a staff, didn't they? A rod. And what did they use that for? They used it for guiding the sheep into the, um, into the, the fields where they could have food and water. They used it for pulling sheep out of ditches. But they didn't just use it to help their sheep in those kind of gentle ways, they used it to defend their sheep against wolves and bears and lions. Shepherds had to be gentle and tough. And that is what Jesus is like. He's gentle and very, very tough. Jesus knows, like we saw in the kids' spot earlier, that sin ruins God's world. 
Jesus knows that actually living for God is the best way and rebelling against God is a terrible thing to do and he's not going to let that happen forever and ever. And one day he's going to come and he will smash his enemies. He will defeat his enemies. And that is a good thing. So that's the reign of, Jesus King, of God's king. Lastly, right responses to the king. Right responses to the king. Verse 10. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. So imagine a meeting of the United Nations, and there's a, a world leader, and he's addressing all the other world leaders, he or she, and, and they're listening carefully. Well, now imagine the picture that it's Jesus the king addressing all the rulers of the world. And he's saying to them, be warned, listen, don't keep on rebelling against me, listen carefully. Well, this psalm does talk to the kings and the rulers of the world. And so when we, when we read the psalm, we should think, I need to pray for the kings and rulers of the world, that they would respond to Jesus like this. But just as we finish, we're going to think, how should I respond? What should I do about what the king says? There are uh, three responses, and they all begin with S, so they're easy to remember. First of all, serve him. Verse 11, serve the Lord with fear. Serve the Lord with fear. So God wants us to put Jesus first in every part of life, to use everything he gives us for him. Jesus doesn't chain us or shackle us to make life miserable. No, Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus wants to make, set us free to serve him. Serving him means listening to him, obeying him, putting him first. That's our first S, serve him. Next one, celebrate him. Same sound, different letter. Celebrate him. Celebrate his rule with trembling. So living for Jesus doesn't mean thinking, oh my goodness, Jesus is the king. Like, I better just get on with it. I don't really want him to be the king. I'd rather be the king, but I can't change the facts, and so I'm just going to be miserable and get on with it anyway. It doesn't mean that. Jesus is the best king to live for. Do you know how we can know that? Because Jesus allowed the rulers of the world to conspire against him and to plot against him and to kill him on a cross. Again, look at Acts 13. And he did that so that we don't need to be frightened of him. We can be forgiven by him. And so we don't just serve him, we celebrate him. And lastly, submit to him. Submit to him. Kiss the son, or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. So kiss the son, that means get down on your knees before the son and let him be the king. It means take the imaginary crown off your head and put it on his head instead. Don't read those verses and think, Jesus is some sort of impatient person who's going to lose his temper and I never know when he's going to lose his temper. It's not what it's saying. It's saying that we never know when he's going to come and put down that rebellion forever. And so if today we know in our hearts that we're still kind of shaking our fist at him, well, why not make today the day you submit to him? Because tomorrow might be too late. It matters how you respond to people with power. Head teachers, prime ministers, presidents, conductors of orchestras. 
It matters most of all how we respond to King Jesus. Whether we do what he says or not, whether we respect him or resent him. What does the psalm show us? Three things here. Our rebellion, God's reaction, Jesus' reign. How should we respond to him? Serve him, celebrate him, submit to him. It'll be worth it. Look at the end of the psalm. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Should we bow our heads and pray? Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for making Jesus the King. Lord, we sing about that a lot. We, we talk about it, but sometimes it's a truth that just kind of floats around and doesn't really sink into our hearts. Please help us, Lord, to, to allow that truth that he is the King, that we've rebelled against him, that that is not a good thing, but that, that he died so that we could be forgiven, not frightened, Help us to serve him and celebrate him and submit to him. And help us to know what that looks like in our lives. If we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.